It's just a lot of fun. And um, very unusually, she has a warm-up person, but she comes out about 10 minutes into warm-up to say hi to everybody before the show. But that, I, I've never seen that with a talk show. Usually the warm-up person comes on, and then the ho they introduce the host, and the warm-up person leaves. But they talk together when she when Oprah did her show. Okay, that's nice. Mm -hmm. It was really neat. Anyway, that was my experience in your city. <laughs> and I went to the Field Museum a lot of times. That was my favorite museum. That's a great museum. It is. And if you like Egyptology, which I do, they, you guys have one of the best exhibits. Yeah, with the tombs and the, the pharaohs, yeah. Yeah, it's very... Um, it's just it's so you feel like you're there because mm -hmm. of the way the the museum structured its Egyptology section. It's I mean when you go to the museum in England, um, the British Museum, I think it's the one with the uh, Egyptology section, Rosetta Stone, and all those wonderful things. Um, it's like the rest of the museum. I mean, it's not, they have all the hieroglyphs and stuff on the, the walls, which is really cool. But when you're in Chicago, it's it, you, it's like you're in a tunnel, and it's like you're going into it's it's really cool. I I don't know who created that exhibit, but thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, it feels like you're going into a pyramid or something. Mm-hmm. Going into the interior, yeah. Yeah, the like you're going into like um or one of the tombs in the valley uh the, mm -hmm. the Valley of the Kings. Yeah. Um it's just it's just really cool. I really loved it. Even your big friendly dinosaur as you walk in. Mhm. Mm I think doesn't it have a name? Yeah, Sue. Sue, Sue the dinosaur, that's right. Such a really cool museum. Has uh they had textile section, Chinese section, and you feel like you're traveling the world. Really cool. Uh -huh. I mean, if you never get to travel the world, but you live near a museum that's like that, that's good. <laughs> yeah. Travel the world and through history, too, obviously. Yes, yeah. Um, we have in San Diego Natural History Museum that's sort of like that. It's, it's you, um, they have some really interesting mini environments of one section is about earthquakes and it shows how earthquakes happen another was this, a section is um, the development of um, horticulture and agriculture and stuff like that And but you, you're going you through it and as you go through it you're going through different time periods of it it's, just, it's really cool I love when they do that it's it's not quite interactive, but it's it it gives you the feel of it, and I I love that when you go to a museum. Yeah. Don't you? Yeah, I do. I, I when I have those special exhibits, they really kind of set off an area, and give you the feel. You know, don't just have things on display, but give you the feel like you're in that place or that time period. Yeah. Definitely, definitely a neat way to do it. Did you guys get the Titanic uh, exhibit? Um, I don't think so. Oh, it was so good. It was so good. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I 
was really cool. We got that came to our Natural History Museum. It was really cool. Um, they actually had um, they actually had one of the side, one of the walls of the ship. That was part of the exhibit. Um, not not the ship itself, but a similar, you know, one of its sister ships that they had a wall okay. of it, but it looks just like the Titanic's. And uh-huh. So you could see what the rivets and stuff look like. It was like, oh my God, it's so big. I mean, it went from all the way to the top of the ceiling. I mean, it was just one little section. I, I couldn't imagine what it must have been like uh, being in Ireland and working on that. Yeah. Really interesting. Um. Um, I recently, <laughs> I was telling you this also, I, I've kind of like been listening to, um, they're called booktubers, and what they do is they talk about different parts, you know, aspects of books, mystery books, or, or, um, fantasy books, or, or the best books of 22 or 23, or whatever it is. Have you ever listened to one of those? Do you do you enjoy? Do you go to YouTube and and listen to different types of stuff? Um, I have not, but it's like a audio or video book review, right? It's video, but yeah. Okay. It's not actually even a book review. It's more of a, I like this book. This is why I like it. <laughs> mm. Or I hate this book, and this is why I hate it. And you get both. Um, and sometimes you agree, and sometimes you go, you're full of it. <laughs> because you, you really like the book, and they hate the book. But, um, yeah, it's really kind of fun. Um, there's some people that are really good at it, and there's some people that aren't. But I think that's an sure. anything, right? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, have you been reading any interesting books? Um, well, I'm kind of doing some research for a new project, so I just started reading uh, Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep. Actually, I'm about halfway through right now. It's a good book. That's a good book. Yeah. Yes. I think I've read it before. I know I've read a few of his books before, so I'm kind of going back and reading a lot of his work to get the feel for his language and uh, how he describes the settings and kind of get the tone for a a hard-boiled detective novel. Yeah, I actually was reading a short story that a very famous English writer wrote. I won't say who it is because his he he got the texture, but he didn't get exactly the tone. He was trying to do the language of Raymond Chandler, but it sounded more like um, I forgot his name, blanked out. Did you ever watch? Um, Guys and Dolls, the movie. No, I haven't seen that. No. Well, you know, them, their, <laughs> the, um, the kind of semi-villain language of the New York, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and that's how the he would put it. And the thing is, is that Chandler was in L.A. and people didn't talk right. the way. They talked in New York. So it was like, Damon Runyon, that's who, who, I couldn't think of his name. He wrote all those, those plays and books. 
uh, about Broadway. Um, that's what it sounded more like than than Raymond Chandler. I was like, um, this isn't as good as I was hoping because he's he's a really good mystery novelist, but mm, that wasn't his best work. <laughs> so it's really delicate. You have to be careful. It's like when you watch a um, an American actor trying to be English or an English actor trying to be American. There's, you, you, they have it. Some are do it wonderfully. You 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 wouldn't ever be able to tell. Um, but some just can't do it. They just it just doesn't work. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah, and a channel especially is so specific to the time and place of you know 1930s LA. Like it would be hard to replicate it if you're not if you don't didn't live there or you didn't live in that time period. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, this took this was written during the time period, but he didn't live here. He was in England, so I think that was one of the problems. Right. Um, now, I want to ask you the reputation of the Big Sleep. I love the book. Okay, so this is not saying anything against the book, but the reputation of Big Sleep is the most confusing plot he ever created, and it he it was basically I um. A lot of the critics and a lot of the readers uh, say, and, e and even when it comes to the movie of it with Bogart and Bacall, uh, they say it's sort of a bonkers plot. Really enjoyable and extremely readable, but it makes no sense. Is that how you're finding it? Um, so far, so good. I'm, a, I'm only about halfway through. So I haven't finished the whole thing. I haven't seen how everything was all... Um, yeah, jury's still out on that for me. Okay. I, I actually really I watch, I read The Big Sleep because I love the movie, and oh. I love the book. And I can see what they're talking about, but it's so readable, and it's so much fun that it doesn't really matter. <laughs> At least that's how I felt about it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to, like, I, I don't know that I would pick up a Raymond Chandler book for, like, and this is not a knock against Raymond, not, I wouldn't pick up a, one of his books for, like, the big plot twist or, like, you know, the the reveal that kind of knocks you off your seat. It's more for the language and the way he describes settings and the, the language he uses in dialogue and um, the character of Philip Marlowe and just that feeling of being in a particular place in a particular time and the mysteries are great too but it's not they're not I would say like fast paced thrillers either no really when you read a Chandler it's more for the characters than the plot would you agree with that yeah because he does really good characters the characters are very well drawn Don't you think so? Yeah, although, I mean, just reading it now, like, obviously there's things that we wouldn't write in 2023 that you could write in 1930. Oh, like, yeah. The, the, way, the way women are described. Or yeah. The fact that there's a homosexual relationship in here that uh, everybody who's not involved uh, is disgusted by. Yeah. Things that we yeah, well, I mean, think is normal now. That's one of the things about 
reading classics, I've actually run up against something that I couldn't continue reading it. But um, usually, especially if it's only a line or two, I can get over it. I can. It's not that I approve of it. I don't. But you you think okay, it's of its time, and you move on. That's the way you read classics. But I ran into a book that the anti-Semitism in it and the anti-gay stuff in it was so strong, and it was paragraphs of it. And they put it in the mouths of characters that in other books are extremely adorable and likable. And I I only got to like the fifth chapter and I couldn't continue. You know what I mean? If it was like a bad guy talking like that and it was like a few lines or somebody you really don't like, or just a character that's not a regular character in the book. These were all regular characters in the book that was talking like that. Right. It, it was, and I just, it, it, and I, I, I actually like this author's books very much. It's just this one book that I've ever run into this issue. Um, there was another book she did that was very racist, and I didn't like it. Uh, and there were several sections of it that was very racist, but at least she didn't have the main characters being racist. It was other people that were, and uh, that was another one was anti uh, racist and anti gay. Another one like that. Same author. Um, I got through it because the people who were talking nasty were bad guys and villains and people you didn't like, but. Uh-huh. I'd, I'll never read that book again. I'll never read the other book right. again. Because right. it's just, it's so awful. It, and those are really rare examples. Usually, I mean, I've read a lot of books that are from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And um, usually I can just, uh, you know, read it and, okay, I'm over that. And now let's get on with the story. Um and um, I'm, I, I don't approve, I don't like it, but you can deal with it. But when it comes and hits you in the face that strongly, it's really difficult. Uh, it's the first time actually I ever got hit by it that badly. <sighs> you know, especially coming out of characters that are regular characters that you like. Right. That, that, it was awful. And he knows I'm not saying the author or the book because it's not fair. Um, I'll tell you when we were off the thing, <laughs> but I just, I, I just, I don't want to ruin the because the rest of her books are great and they they may have a few things in it, but nothing like those two. Um, but. I don't I don't want to ruin the experience for somebody who wants to read those books. You know what I mean? Right. Um, have you ever run into a book like that that you just it, you just stopped reading because it just it 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 hurt your sensibility so much? And like I said, I've read for years and years, and this is the first time I actually couldn't finish the book. 
No, I don't think I have. I mean, I, you know, they're the ones that we think of now, like um, Huck Finn or, you know, anything written in you know, pre-civil rights era from a white male author, author perspective often has that sort of racial undertones for certain characters. But I've never run into anything where it's like, oh, my gosh, I, I can't can't read any more of this. Yeah, because it was, it, cause it was, when you get it on several levels against several different people, you're just like, oh, I guess I can't. Right. Um, especially when a plot hinges on the character that they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a central character. It was just awful. Um, but, yeah, it's the first time it ever happened. Not, I actually first time I I was reading a book and my stomach was turning and I just like I said I made it to the fifth chapter which I thought was pretty good considering how upsetting it was. <laughs> but um, it's so weird. Yeah, but you're right. It's the the sensitivities have changed. I mean, thank God. And not that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's something I think when, at least when I'm reading it, I feel like, okay, you know, this is probably how a lot of people thought at that time, and, you know, we think differently now, and hopefully for the better, Um, but in writing writing his story, like Chandler is probably accurately representing things as they were, Mm -hmm. and, you know. I think that's one of the reasons... Um, reading somebody like Agatha Christie is very interesting because she wrote for like four decades and she had some um, aspects there, it was again it wasn't like this it was like one or two lines that were disturbing and the rest of the book was great um, but as she got older I noticed it wasn't as bad you know what I mean I I Maybe because she was traveling the world, she was she went all over, you know she's she's been to all over the uh, world uh, like I think twice. She was a, quite a traveler. Um, that she just kind of grew up and realized, you know, the the, the xenophobia was um, not right. But 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 if you read her early books, there's quite a bit of um, that aspect. Um, but again, it's not so bad. It's not it's not paragraphs and paragraphs of it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and it's not in the voices of a regular character. Um, you know. There, there's some. There was some stuff when I was younger I didn't understand. Like um, I didn't know what. An, like there was one thing that that that's quite frequently in her earlier books, like uh, different characters talking about eye ties, and I didn't know what that meant when I was young. And so um, I finally went to my dad, and he said, "I don't know what they're talking about. They're not being very nice about this person. The person's actually kind of nice." And he said, "Let me look." And he goes, "Oh, yeah." He said, "Unfortunately, that's about Italians." And he goes, "It's not nice." And you're right. 
you're, you're thinking correctly. He goes, unfortunately, there's a lot of prejudice about people who were Italian. And the thing was, they if somebody may not have been Italian, they may have been from another country that was, like they had dark skin or they had the flashing eyes or something like that. They would call them an Itai even though they were from Turkey, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so... It it still was confusing until I got older and I realized it's just a bad thing to say about somebody. Um, But I didn't know. And anybody of Italian extraction, I am sorry. It's not my belief system. And I thought it was awful then, and I still think it's awful now. So I'm just letting you know. (laughs) So I'm just explaining something. (laughs) Um, But... um, it's the only thing I can think of that isn't a bad word that would come up. You know what I'm saying? Because there, there's a lot of words that people used that were really terrible words that were in a lot of novels, especially if you read books from the 20s. Um, but this was a, a word that it was a not nice way to say something about someone, but it's not a bad word. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But I just, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't. I, I, it's not the way I was raised. So I, I, I find it strange. You know what I mean? <laughs> you find it strange now? To... Now, as a person in the 20 well when i first started reading in in the 20th to the 21st century yeah i find it i when i was a little kid i found it strange and even now i find it even more strange even though i'm an adult and i know exactly what was happening in the world and i know the world history i still find it strange that people talk like that about other people i I see it all the time. We see it in our country. We see it in other countries. It's a horrible, stupid thing. But I don't understand it. Right. I yeah. mean, it's and, not in my sensitivities. Well, right. that's not the right... It's not in my my way of thinking. That's the way I should say it. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, even, you know, even reading a book that you know has been written... 50, 100 years ago, coming across certain language always, you know, kind of takes me, kind of takes me aback, and I'm like, Ooh, I definitely can't say that anymore, and I hope that anybody right they would not say that, but yeah. that time. I mean, you can indicate someone as nasty by having them say rude and nasty things, but it doesn't sure. have to be racial or uh, relig- anti-religious or, you know, against the, the people's religion is what I meant, or right. uh, their life, anti their lifestyle. You don't have to say that. There's other ways of showing that someone's nasty. It, it's just... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can say a lot of things about a person without being cruel, not cruel, because some people are cruel in books, but um, prejudiced. Right. Yeah, you can... It's... 
I mean, to do it now, I think, would be, in many ways, a lazy way to um, to write a character. Exactly. You know, unless, unless that sort of prejudice is an integral part of the character you're writing. And even then, I think you can probably avoid most of the, you know, really hot-button slurs. You know, and it can convey their attitude through, through other means. You can refer to things without actually saying the bad stuff. Uh, I've seen exactly. that. You know, um, you can you can have a bad guy say really nasty things without using really nasty sayings. You know, it, it's more elegant yeah. to do it that way, and it's better for people's sensitivities to do it that way. And it also shows you're more creative. <laughs> but I, I I find it really good that in people don't write like that anymore. Right, yeah. I mean, hopefully we're making progress. And, you know, and like I said, I mean, when you're reading a book of, like, you're reading one from the 30s, or the 20s, or the 40s, or the 50s, or 1900s, or 1850s, or whatever era that's older, you you take it with a grain of salt. It has it, the only reason I couldn't finish that book was because it was so much of it. It was it if it's just a couple lines, or if it's a, a paragraph once, you know th- that you can just okay, that's the way they are, and move on. I don't want people not to read classics, you know. Right. Because uh, you have to remember that what you're reading, you're looking into, is a time yeah, machine. What were you gonna say? Yeah, and it goes both ways too. It's funny in reading the big sleep, but like it goes both both ways too. Like it, there have been things that we now consider offensive that weren't in the 1930s or whenever, the things that now we wouldn't consider terribly offensive that were, at least reading Chandler, that probably were considered offensive in the 1930s. Like, um, in the big sleep, one of the plot points is that there's a bookseller who's lending out pornography kind of under the radar, under the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Marlowe discovers one of these books, he just describes it as indescribable still. Like, he can't. Chandler can't even put into words like what is in these books. You just get the impression that it's pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later in the book, a character says, "You know, go f yourself." But Chandler lines out the curse word, doesn't even put any letters in there, which is I don't think I've ever seen before in a book. And that's interesting. But you can't you can't even bring himself to write the word. Or his editor wouldn't let him. Yeah, like I mean, think yeah, about it. The, the publisher the probably period, like, didn't. Yeah. He, would, he would not be allowed to publish something. No. That had that word. No. The publisher probably said, you, you just put F dot 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 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but he, he didn't even do that. It was just a, an M dash or, you know, just lined out. Go, go blank yourself. Wow. Yeah. And today they say that all the time in books. <laughs> no right. slapdash, no dot dot. We're right there. 
you know, it's just, yeah, that's changed. That's, I don't know if it's for the better or for the worse, but that's changed. Yeah, I think for me, it was just kind of drawing, like it took me out of the story a little bit, like, just like, I know what the word is, the word you're trying to say there is, it's just funny that you couldn't, you or your editor couldn't bring yourself to put it in the book. Yeah. And like you said, uh, it's the 30s, they probably wouldn't have published it, not with that. Right. It's um, it's interesting because um, one of the books I recently read was Magpie Murders, and one of the words in it, it's alluded to, but it's not put in because I don't think Anthony Horowitz wanted to because it was it is a word that we still think of, and it's not a it's. I don't know if it's it's a horrible word, but I but women are trying to take it back. Um, I don't know uh, if did you ever see the vagina monologues or any of those um, plays or books? I have not. Okay, well it's in there. Um, a, a whole section about how women are trying to take that word back, but it's a, not a nice way to describe a woman. And the author of the there's what Magpie Murders is it's a book within a book, and uh, the guy who wrote the book within the book is a jerk. He's a creep. He's a horrible human being, and he's and at the end he's just being really a jerk. And I won't give anything away to spoil the story, but he he uses that word. Um, but they don't actually use the word. It's just, you know what word they're saying because of the way they give it to you. But it's kind of more referred to than used. You know what I'm saying? They still are very yeah, delicate how, how about certain how, words. How exactly does he do that? Does, does he I don't, write a couple of letters? I will tell you off the thing because it it will spoil the book if I say it. Okay. But it, it it's clever. The way he does it is very clever, and there you have no doubt what word it is. Um, but but it's it's done in a way that no one the word's not written. It's not. It's just referred to. Um. And it's done very, it's elegantly handled, but, because he's a really great writer, but, um, <laughs> but I was, like, kind of surprised, not that he was uh, sensitive to the word, but that, that, that was the word that this, but this man is such a misogynist jerk that it makes sense, you know, the character that uh, right. put the word in there, the author in the book, uh, the second. And the funny thing is, is that the book within the book is a great book. It's a great story. The characters are wonderful. Everybody is likable. It's a, it, I, even some of the villains are likable. It's a really wonderful book. 
but the person who wrote it is a complete creep. <laughs> you know, it's it's this weird dichotomy. <laughs> yeah, because I, I just finished the sequel, and he's still a jerk. He's he's dead, and it's all reflected back. But he's still a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, a, it's an old case. It's an old character. I'm sorry? But the Horowitz has done enough work on that character to make it clear that, you know, this is a misogynistic character that you're not supposed to like. Oh, yeah. And oh, that's yeah. why he's using this word. Yeah. And it, um, well, I mean, you know, Anthony Horowitz is a great writer. and he he's written a lot of amazing books and a lot of amazing screenplays, but these two books I think are his masterpieces because it's a the the both books could be standalone books they they're interrelate they're each book within the book there's two books there's the book that's the inner book and then there's the book that's the modern book that's the that that's the structural book. But they, if you took the book within out, and you just had the outer book, it was it the, the both books could stand alone. And he that he, he that he could do that and interlace them, and even though they're um, it's it's the in Magpie it's like four pages of the structural book, and then the whole book. Of the inner book, and then the the structural book starts again at the end of the other book. Uh, they're totally separate. You could keep them. It, it, it was. It's like he wrote two books, and they're complete. It, it's so hard to describe. I I was trying to describe this to a friend. And I said, it's like if you took two of Dan Brown's best books and you put them together, one book within the other, and you interlace them together that's what it's like and they're totally standalone books but they're completely interrelated <laughs> that's the best I can do I mean it's just it, it's a masterwork it just it, it, he should win every award there is for both those books <laughs> never read anything like so the way that you describe it, the way you describe it reminds me of 1984 which is you know a story about a person, people living in a totalitarian state, but then also has a book within that book that describes in great detail like how this state came to power from the perspective of a, a thinker living in that society. It's like the, it's the interior like book that. itself it's is like a great treatise on political theory. And then obviously the, the rest of the book is you know, one of the best dystopian novels ever. It's two murder mystery. You get get two murder mysteries for the price of one book, <laughs> and you get it twice because there's now two of them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but yeah, 1984 is a good example. I just it's just really, uh, and Orwell was a great writer, um, but it's just how he did it. I don't know. I really don't know how he did it. I. It's just, you, I just finished 
uh, Moonflower last night. And I, I just, you just close it and you're like, I couldn't stop reading. I think I finished like at 1 a.m. Because I, I just had to find out what happens. <laughs> it's one of those type of books. Both of them are. No, I'm intrigued. I haven't, I haven't read any of those. Yeah. Uh, read Magpie first. Okay. Um, also... The adaption's really good on PBS, but um, he it's it's different again than the book itself. I mean, it's really it, it, he changed the entire structure of the book for the adaption. It's just it's it's really great. Same characters, same plot, same uh, bad guys, same killers, same everything. But he changed everything. <laughs> it sounds like that structure might be hard to do in a TV adaptation. Yeah, yeah. It it was. I mean, still, it's a book within a book. But uh-huh. it's it what instead of you, you you can't. It's like what he said. You can't have really top line actors, which they do. Uh, uh, you know, be on four pages of a script and then uh-huh. go back in time. To the other book uh, for 250 words or whatever it is, and then because you really like her, but you don't see her for like three episodes or something. He goes, you can't, you can't do that with somebody um, that's as good as she is. So, yeah. So what he did was he sort of intermingled it. He um, inst- he he went back and forth between the stories. But there's all kinds of it's it's so different. Um, you, I actually watched the adaptation first and read the book, and it didn't have any effect on my enjoyment of the book because the adaptation is so utterly different from the book. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, my wife and I just finished watching Station Eleven on HBO, which is an adaptation of Emily St. John Mandel's novel. Um, and the adaptation is, is starts out very similar to the book, but then um, diverges quite a bit. Um, but it's also very good. The book is excellent as well. Yeah, the thing is, is Anthony wrote the adaptation, so it's still his his work. He did it because he just felt that uh-huh. people wouldn't want not to see the uh, protagonist for like all those episodes. Right. Which makes sense if you think about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. But I don't. It, was it the author who adapted the, the? Was it their screenplay or somebody else adapted it for them? I know she was involved, and she might just have been like a producer. I don't know if she actually wrote the story for the for the TV series. I I it depends on the author. Some authors just hear you do it. <laughs> and you can't blame them. Um, uh, it's it's like I don't know if you ever saw Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries. Um, no. They're very different from the books because I've read the books and I, I mean they're both brilliant and I enjoy both, but the books are very different from the episodes from the TV series and she wouldn't 
assign it to someone for a long time until she found the producers that did it because she want she wanted she she knew she didn't want to do the adaptions herself but she wanted her characters to be her characters so that's what she got um it it's different uh because they've added different things and stuff like that with her approval um she's involved and it it's totally her stories but it's done in a different way with her approval you know what i'm saying and that's i think the best of both worlds that you you, you get your thing yeah. adapted you you're not writing it but they love your work enough to have real respect for it and it's done the and they're asking your opinion that is that's the way it should uh-huh. be that's respect for the writer yeah it seems like adaptations are getting better now because more people are willing to watch a sort of prestige TV series like you know whether it's something like Game of Thrones or Station Eleven or um, Magpie Murders like people are willing to kind of sit through 10 episodes of a story that you know was a 250-300 page book and was previously condensed into a two-hour movie but now like has enough room to breathe in a full length miniseries yeah the thing I have an issue with and I know there are people out there who are really big fans of them I am not a big fan of the new adaptions of the um, Agatha Christie novels that I'm not sure if ITV or BBC does uh, they change the murder they change the different characters they 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 make characters that are bad guys good guys and I mean I do have a problem with that I I I, I do have a problem with them changing it that much yeah I I mean I okay change the scene change the different but don't change the murder that's just disrespectful to the writer. Yeah, it seems like a strange move. But th- but that's one thing I I don't like. And no disrespect to her, she's a great writer. Um, but I, and I know a lot of people love them, so no disrespect to those people either. But I just I'm I can't watch. I've watched one, and I just I can't watch anymore. <laughs> I just, I, I, I just don't like it, and that's just my opinion. I, I think that because I do love the books, and I, like I said, I can watch, I can read the books of Miss Fisher, and I can see the differences. But it's still Miss Fisher. It's still the character. They haven't changed her, and the murderer is still the same murderer. It's respectful. Right. <clears throat> I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how I feel. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> um, to me, respect for the writer is everything. I mean, you're a writer. You should understand that that writer who is the original writer needs to be respected. At least that's how yeah, I Yeah, it, 
it's strange that you kind of diverged that far from a story. You know, like, I, I can see them taking liberties with a particular character, embellishing one character a little more, or, you know, playing back one character a little bit more, but to kind of change the roles of those people in the story seems like an odd move. Well, like, uh, I, I can't watch it. The ABC murders, they did that, and they changed Perot so much that he's unrecognizable. I saw the previews, and I just couldn't watch the show. Um, I mean, I've seen all the different Perots, all of them. And and the actor who played it, he's brilliant. He's one of the best actors since the Western world. It's not his fault. He's doing what's written on the page. It's the writer, and it's the same writer that I was talking about. Um, and it was a shame because uh, a couple of the actors in that show I really wanted to see. I wanted to see him. I wanted to see all the actors, but when I saw the previews and I saw what it was about, I was like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just, you know, you don't want to waste your money, and it's money because it was a paper. I, you don't want to waste your money on something you're going to hate. Right. Um, so, I mean, all due respect to everybody who loves it. Love it, love it, love it. But I don't. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. No. Um... So do you have anything exciting coming up? Any uh, book signings or talks? And how are your books doing? And all those good bookie stuff. Um, no events coming up. I'm currently editing a novel, um, which I just sent out to some beta readers uh, towards the end of 2022. So I'm hoping to get some feedback from them in about a month or so. And kind of move forward with that. And then, like I mentioned, looking ahead and doing some research and thinking about um, a future series of uh, like a hard-boiled detective series set in the future. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I hope so. I'm, I'm excited about it. Is that why you're reading Chandler, to get the hard-boiled detective thing down? Exactly, yeah. So I, I won't be able to replicate 1930s L.A., but I'm hoping that because it'll be set in the future, I can kind of you know, invent some of my own own slang and own language and create a little bit of my own world. That'll be fun. That's a yeah. lot of fun. That's cool. Um, yeah, I love I I love that. I the that's another thing you have to get over when you watch. An, I love classic movies, as you know, oh. and that's another thing you have to get over when you're watching classic movies is the treatment of women in classic movies. Right. <laughs> Especially in Chandler books. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, every woman is a dame or broad and, or, you know. It's like, the, I, I, uh, even in great noir movies like Laura, which I think is one, is a perfect murder mystery. I think it's one of the best it's my opinion. I mean, there's probably people who think there are better noir murder mysteries, but my favorite is Laura. It's 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 such a 
perfect film. It is done so well. But even in that, the detective played by Dana Andrews calls women dames and broads. <sighs> even though he, but you see him with her and and other women, and he's completely respectful and sweet. So it's not a dislike of women. It's I think it's just the language of the period because it's a noir right. film. But if you, I mean, and it, so that's what I mean. If you watch it, and but you have to actually watch the character to see that's just the way he talks. He doesn't really. That's not the way he is. You know, it's not him. Have you ever yeah, seen Laura? Have you ever seen that movie? I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I have, but I don't remember any of the details of it. Uh, Dana Andrew, um, uh, Clifton Webb. Uh, Jean Tierney. Um, uh, it's about a woman who's murdered, and um, it's all in flashback. And the detective basically falls in love with her portrait, which is a gorgeous portrait. Um, I always wondered what happened to it um, of Jean Tierney. <laughs> it's just absolutely stunning. I think they said it was a, a photograph that they painted over or something that an artist painted over or something to give it the feel of a painting. But it's just stunning. It's a stunning shot of her. Um, highly recommend it. Um, and it's amazing. Uh, I don't know if you know who Clifton Webb is. He's a really wonderful character actor. That was his first movie, and he must have been in his 50s when he did it. I mean, he was a theater oh. actor. and But, you know, theater acting and film acting are completely different uh, kinds of acting. Right. And, but you would never know watching him. He steals every scene he's in from really great actors. <laughs> really, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, I think I just watched it, re yeah, I watched it two or three months ago. I just I love it. It's one of it's such the feel of it, the um it's I think it was set in the forties. I think it was set, it was shot. It was done in the forties. I think it was done in the forties. Either the before or after the war, maybe during the war, I don't know. But it's just really if you wanna see a classic mystery, noir, done, right, that's the movie I'd recommend. Uh, I will have to either rewatch it or watch it for the first time. <laughs> yeah. You would, I mean, I think you probably would remember, wouldn't you? Have you seen it? Uh, I probably would remember, like, once I started watching a few scenes. Would either come back to me if I've seen it or not. Yeah, it's, um... It has the most haunting music. Um, Laura's theme, I think they call it. It's just, it's just, uh, it's such an elegant film. You don't say that about a lot of movies, but that is an elegant film. Especially murder mysteries. I mean, I love The Big Sleep. I love, there's a lot of Bogart and Bacall movies. I really, really, I love To Have and To Have Not. I love, 
Um, what's the other one I really like? There's another one, but I can't think of it. But I love a lot of their movies, and I love. There's a lot of '40s movies that I really, really like. Um, but of movies of that period, that's the mystery period. The best one, I think, is Laura. Okay. So there's my movie recommendation for today. <laughs> Thank you. I'm always glad to get movie recommendations from you. <laughs> um, do you uh do you have a timeline, or do you know when the book's gonna come out? The one you're editing. The one I'm editing, um, I don't know exactly, but I'm pretty sure it'll be before the end of this year. Um, could be sometime in the fall. We'll see. That's cool. Um, and uh, you said you don't have any events coming up. Do you have? No, um, no events. Do you have um, any kind of um, you know things that you are doing that's exciting you want to tell everybody about? Uh, no, I think uh, just kind of plugging along with a couple different stories. Okay, all right. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I always enjoy chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thank you for chatting with Sherry.